when darkness speaks a louder word than the truth that we have heard we will fight to believe and remember you said it's finished it is done and by your blood we've overcome we will never trust in you oh and remember oh and we will not forget you are always with us we will not forget you are always for us we will not forget oh we will not and now by faith our hope is sure our confidence is in you lord we will sing of all you've done and remember oh we'll remember oh and we will not delivered us from change you split the waters your mercy was displayed we remember oh we remember you came to rescue we were lost and gone astray you died our death our sin was buried in the grave you rose to life you rolled the stone away we remember guys why don't all 10 of you get up find somebody <laughs> tell them good morning Lifted high for 
all to see. Jesus, I got my Lord, I keep. Oh, and brighter than a million stars, His love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Well, good morning, everybody. I should say, well, good morning, courageous people. It stormed at 3 o'clock in the morning, which means most people wanted to stay home all day. I, I get that. I used to live up north where it snowed, and if you got more than an inch, it was like, ah, oh, stay home. But uh, so I want to welcome those of you watching online. We're glad, we're glad you can join us there. Thank you for being here this morning. I know I say this every week, but we are in a great text today. Uh, we just sang a song that Jesus is brighter than a million stars. 
And I want to add, unless we overshadow him, which is what this morning's text is about. Stick with us. We will be there in a few moments. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. For those of you who have not been with us, we are walking through the life of Christ in a series called Who Is This Man? Uh, we're looking, taking all four Gospels and we're doing a chronological look at the life of Christ, which is, which is pretty intense. When you step back and you look at what he did and listen to what he had to say, it's an intense conversation. Jesus uh, didn't pull any punches and this morning is, is no exception. So we're glad you're here. We're glad you're watching online and we hope you're blessed having been with us. If this is your first time with us, I would sure love to meet you uh, right after the service. If you'll come up, I'll, I'll hang up here, uh, and then I'll make my way after a few minutes back to the table, the welcome table, and I'd love to shake your hand and answer any questions you have. But we're awfully glad you're here this morning uh, at Car Carpenter's Way visiting with us. For the rest of you all, welcome home. Uh, our hope and prayer is that this is uh, an incredibly encouraging time for you and your walk with God as we gather with other believers. Uh, I want to remind you that the best of Carpenter's Way isn't done in here. It's done outside of here, which is our small groups, our Bible studies, uh, our Wednesday nights. And so we encourage you to jump in beyond Sunday morning worship times uh, so that you have relationships with other people. And we're constantly looking for opportunities to encourage you in your walk with God and, and to build relationships. And so we have some stuff coming up that I want to encourage you to look at in your worship guide. So if you'll open it, you'll see men, you'll see in there about our men's picnic, our men's hangout, which will take place uh, the 27th of the month. This is, this is an awful lot of fun. It's a Saturday afternoon, and uh, from noon to 4, we eat. Uh, John Estes will be cooking on the grill for us, and we'll have hamburgers and hot dogs, and all the information you need is on here. But I want to add one thing. If you are visiting at Carpenter's Way or if you watch on the Internet, get some courage. Come join us. Meet other men. Get to know us a little bit. I promise that most of us won't bite. Um, and those that do, we'll put a muzzle on them. We just want you to come and, and we want to get to know you. This is a this is just a chance for us to hang out. One of the cool things we do with this, uh, well, there are games. We, we'll have games. Uh, we'll eat. We'll talk. But we also have a section of this where we have shotguns and we shoot old Cokes, uh, Coke cans that are filled. They're, they're a lot of fun. If you've never shot a Coke can being launched out of a gun, you need to come. So it's, it's an awful lot of fun. And uh, guys, it's, uh, it's definitely testosterone-laden, so come, come join us for that. Uh, also, we have stuff going on for kids. There's camps coming up this summer. Uh, there are mission trips. All of this information is in the worship guide. This Thursday night is TNT, and I want to highlight that. As you came in, you probably got a little piece of paper which advertised that and told you about that. If you're 50, older, or feel 50 and older, uh, and you want to come to a potluck, this is a chance to meet folks and uh, just to hang out. The information uh, you should have got coming in or it's on the back page of, of your worship guide as well. Um, for those of you who have been coming to Carpenter's Way and would like to know more about the church but don't want to hang out and shake the pastor's hand, next Sunday is our Carpenter, uh, Carpenter's Way 101 class or our new members class, basically starting at 9.30 in the library until about 11.15. We have child care going on all that time and everything. We, you will meet all the church leadership, the pastors, the elders. Uh, Alicia and some of her team will come in and shake your hands and answer any questions you have. But we go through what we believe, why we program the way we do. Any question that you have about Carpenter's Way is answered in that setting. So, again, if you watch online and you, you, you'll get gutsy one week, just show up. And uh, we'll have breakfast in there for you or some snacks, and, and we'd, sure, we'd sure love for you to join us. Uh, again, there's no cost to that. It's just next Sunday. But our, our goal, our goal at, at Carpenter's Way is to get you in the family, not just in the building. And there is a difference. 
Um, we want you participating in the body life. The, the church is not a, it's not a production. It's not a show. It's a participation sport as we serve God together. We have leaders of things to help us heading in the right direction, in the same direction. So we encourage you, even if you're watching online, even if you're brand new to the faith, even if you're still figuring out who God is, we want you to come in and be a part of our family. We want to encourage you in that, and you are welcome. Uh, so next week is a great start to that. And uh, so, again, this will be in the library next Sunday morning at 9.30. And, and uh, uh, so plan on joining us there. It's in the middle of the section. It says, what is Carpenter's Way? And you do not have to be interested in being a member to come to this class. You do need to be interested in what's going on and why we do Carpenter's Way the way we do it. And uh, so, so please plan on joining us for that. Um, I, I want to talk about Easter again. Um, <laughs> I have to be careful how I say this. Easter is our celebration of our salvation, right? It's when we gather one time a year on the Sunday set aside to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear this morning about this, but let me teach a little bit. There were dozens, if not hundreds of people during the time of Christ who claimed to be the Messiah. But there was only one that rose from the dead. And the resurrection from the dead not only promises us life, those of us who believe in him, but it also validates everything that Jesus said about himself that we're studying right now. He was the only one who followed through on his promises. That's why we worship him. That's why once a year the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, we'll have lots of visitors, but it is not a church growth Sunday. It is a celebration of what God is doing. And because we have so, we'll have, I, I want to encourage you, we are not going to advertise, we're not going to put signs up, we're not going to spend $100,000 on inviting people to Carpenter's Way. You are the signpost of what God is doing in our, in our local body. You are the signpost. As you have neighbors, straight or gay, sin or righteous, they're welcome here. They're welcome here to, uh, to hear what Jesus Christ offers them based upon what they see him doing in your life. And it is based upon that we want to encourage you to invite people that you are impacting for the kingdom. Uh, we are, uh, we're going to sing a lot. We're going to celebrate. We're going to read the story. But we're going to answer for those that are visiting. We're going to answer the question, why does it matter when my kid has cancer? Why does it matter when my marriage is falling apart? What does the resurrection have to do with me? I mean, I like the eggs. I like the chocolate. But what does Jesus have to do with me? So it's going to be about an hour service. We want you to invite them in and take them out for coffee after. Take them out for lunch. Build a relationship with people because that's the model of evangelism in the, in the Word of God. Some of you are going, evangelism? I don't know how to do that. Just tell them what God is doing in your life. Just tell them the truth. Just tell them what God is doing. Tell them that despite you're a sinner, God is merciful beyond belief. And that's what we want to do that whole weekend. Um, and so we encourage you to be the signpost. Who in your life, who is... Find one person that God has put you in contact with that's struggling in their walk with God or don't even know the Lord, and you just want to bring them along. You just want to answer the question. People in East Texas are in the mood to celebrate at both Christmas and Easter, so bring them along. But we're counting on you to answer the question why, and, uh, and, and that's what we do every week, come and go. So that weekend, our programming consists of this. It's not complicated. We're going to have a Good Friday service at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It lasts from, on Friday from 3 to 3.30. This is not a preaching time. This, is, uh, this room is, is red. We have communion. It is on the death of Christ. We don't talk about the resurrection. We talk about his death. 
What does it mean? We read scripture. We sing songs. The service itself is about 20 minutes, and then up here we'll have three stations for communion. And if you're a child of God, we want you to reflect on it. We want you to think on it. There'll be a couple videos that will help that. Then you come, and then you'll take communion with your family. Bring your family. Um, and then you'll go back to your life. You'll go back. Because we want you to reflect on it that weekend. Sunday morning, we're not going to talk about the death. We're going to talk about the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mojo of the weekend. That's what we do. And so I want to encourage you to not just attend but participate. And um, usually this room is full on Easter, and so we would encourage you to come early that Sunday morning. I know that the service time actually begins around 10.15 every Sunday. But that morning it's going to start at 9.30. So that, that was, I'm making fun of you. You make fun of me, so bless your hearts. Wow, you're kind of an angry little group this morning. Anyway, dearly beloved, great for being here today. <laughs> anyway, so, so that's, uh, that's all that's coming up. Um, you notice that we have begun to destroy what was the Seekers class, which will soon become a, a huge ladies' bathroom. Seriously, that's the most exciting thing you just heard me say? Oh, I'm going to preach this morning, brothers and sisters. Yes, that is an exciting thing. And so the demo has begun there, which means that there's going to be some inconvenience, you guys. There's just going to be. So we're moving classes around because certain classes have to fit in certain places. So the Seekers class that used to meet in there that is now going to become a ladies' bathroom is going to be meeting in the overflow room. That's the room that Clay Alverson's class used to meet at. Clay Alverson's class is now going to move over to where Robert Grimes' class used to be right over here. Uh, which was really Clay Alverson's class in the first place, but Robert Grimes and him got in a wrestling match, and Robert won. So Clay is going back over there. Robert's class is going to be meeting in the pastor or the, uh, the staff conference room for the next two weeks, then we're going to move him to the library. We're doing some stuff in the library as well. So that's where we're at. Connie Rhodes' class, bless your hearts for being gracious with us, but you're going to move back into the building, into your into York, the class that you were at before. And uh, if all of this is confusing and annoying, all we need is another $200,000 and we can build our adult discipleship wing. So uh, how's that for a plug? Um, but that's what's going on this morning. If there's any confusion, just find any class and sit down. Nobody will care. They'll be... They'll be, glad you're <laughs> they'll be glad you're in there. If you find yourself in a class with a bunch of children, you are in the wrong wing. So, but it, it is exciting times. They've begun to also rip up what will be. We're, uh, if you remember, we're doing the bathrooms. We're going to do a nursing station, uh, a room uh, for young mothers, and we're demoing what will be the adult discipleship wing, and that is well underway. That is a huge area. It's going to be so exciting to have those classes, but that's what we're doing right now. And uh, so lots of stuff going on at Carpenter's Way. We're glad you're involved and, and that you're participating. I want to remind you, if you're visiting here this morning, we do not want you distracted by money. So as the plate comes by in a moment, we're going to take an offering. Just pass it. I do want to remind you, if, you are, if this is your church home, this is part of how we worship. Um, one of the, I had a conversation with our staff this week, uh, kind of a long conversation. Just because somebody comes in the building doesn't make you a part of the Carpenter's Way family. Participation does. Serving. Um, God, this is, not an, uh, this is not an observation sport. This is an, uh, this is an active sport. We, we serve together, and what we do is done together. I think I told you a few months ago, in the children's ministry alone, there are over 200 positions each week that have to be filled just to do discipleship. I mean, isn't that incredible? And here's the crazy part. It's predominantly full. Our student ministry has 20-some adults discipling kids. That is, an amazing, uh, that is an amazing participation level. If you're not participating, we want, we want to throw you in there. We want you to be involved. And uh, so be involved. 
Uh, as the plate comes by, be involved financially. Uh, we, that's how we do what we do. There's no secret sauce to what we do. We give, uh, and the Lord allows us to use that money to support missions around, across the globe and here in the room and stuff. And we felt we've fallen behind as we often do our first quarter. So if you're able to give a little extra to help us catch up, um, we'd appreciate that. But that's part of what we do as worship. So I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward, and we're going to pray and we're going to commit, commit our work to the Lord. And uh, again, if you're visiting with us this morning, whether online or here in the room, uh, you're going to be hearing what God is saying to his children. If you're not a child of God, enjoy us, enjoy our worship, enjoy our time together. But please understand, the most important thing for you is that you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. It's, don't worry about what the church is doing right and wrong. That's, that's not a concern. We know we don't do stuff perfect. Your job is to figure out who you are in light of Jesus Christ. Having been a child of God, come join us. Make us better. That's what we do. Father God, thank you for the, the privilege we have to gather together, to celebrate you, to worship you. Lord Jesus, there's, uh, man, there's a, there's a lot of folks here. There's a lot of folks away. There, there's a lot going on. The weather, the soccer camps, uh, just activities, Father. People are sick. We pray that you would be with our family of faith members that are all spread all over the place and you'd encourage them. We pray for those that are watching online today that they wouldn't be distracted by things at their house, but they would open their Bibles and hear from you. I thank you that you're not limited to this room. I thank you for those that are gathering with us this morning in this room, and I pray you'd bless them for being here. Lord, at the end of our time today, what we want to do is know you better and be more surrendered to you. So speak to us, Father, in a very direct, powerful, convicting, encouraging, wonderful way. May we know at the end of our time together that you spoke to us. Father, we, we commit our time to you. We commit our offering to you. Thank you for how you provided for this church financially for 20-some years, and we know you'll continue to provide, and we'll, I pray you'll bless those that are part of that. Uh, may we all want to participate in our church, not just financially, but also personally, and to build up the body of Christ, equipping each other for the work of the ministry. So, Lord Jesus, again, thank you for letting us gather. Thank you for promising to meet with us. Thank you for promising to affect us. In the name of Jesus, we commit our time to you. Amen. Uh, Pastor Mark had mentioned that this is a participation sport. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that there's times you come in and, you know, we all know life is hard. Stuff happens. Uh, maybe you got a diagnosis that you're not ready to deal with. Um, family's falling apart. Um, maybe you're dealing with, like, constant pain, just stuff going on. There's something very powerful. And in those moments, coming together and declaring truths, uh, singing to him, even when you don't really, like you know it's true, but you don't really feel it at the moment. Uh, there's, there's power in that, of coming together and uh, declaring things like, God, I know that death is defeated. God, I know that hope is eternal. I know my hope is eternal. And I know that you're alive. And I know that all these things are true. But sometimes you just don't feel like it, honestly. Sometimes you get here on Sunday morning, you're like, man, I just I don't have it in me this morning. Um, I would just encourage you, try to summon up something inside of you, because there is power in that. There's power in declaring those truths. And for those of you who right now are in those great seasons of life where everything is going great, um, sing extra loud for those who aren't, so that we can all just kind of gather together. Um, and I've told you this before, but if you haven't, I know you guys get stuck like sitting in your normal seat, um, the good Baptist that you are. Um, come up and sit on one of these front two or three rows sometime. Because it's really, really, I mean, cool is not a, I need a better word. 
but just hearing your brothers and your sisters sing on those days, or maybe you don't just have it, you're just like, man, I can't do it. And just sitting here and listening to people sing these truths, and, uh, it's super powerful. So if you get a chance, if you feel comfortable, get out of your seat, come up to the front, just listen, maybe just sit and uh, try to summon up that energy to, to, to sing these truths for me. Oh 
is alive and I am bound to death no more. Oh, He is alive in Jesus Christ, always secure. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory.
glory. God, you reign holy. Oh, you are holy. Lord Almighty. God, you reign worthy. There's none more worthy. King of glory. And 
intense song. I surrender all. You know, it's, um, it seems like in our walks with God, just about the time you understand what that phrase means, God raises the ante, doesn't he? The disciples had had a good couple months with their new rabbi. The words amazing, wonderful, probably best described the first few weeks with him. I mean, they got to see him turn water into wine. They got to hang out with his mother and his brothers, went on a little vacation together, and man, they got to go to Passover with him. It was amazing and wonderful. Right up until Jesus walked into the temple grounds at Passover preparation days. Then the best word to describe what they were thinking was unexpected. I mean, they were super excited to get to Jerusalem with him to celebrate the Passover, but they didn't expect him to run off the animals, to whip them in the backside, and then start arguing with those that were selling the product. They didn't expect that. And the rest of the Passover and the celebration of unleavened bread that week, well, it was crazy too. I mean, Jesus started doing miracles, and, 
And actually, the, the crowd started gathering around him. They started following him. And then there was that one night when the main teacher of Jewish things, Nicodemus, comes and talks to him. On behalf of a group of religious leaders, he asks him questions, and Jesus cuts him off and tells him that unless a man is born again, born of the Spirit, born from above, he can't see the kingdom of God. What a crazy week that was. He even dared the religious leaders to tear the temple down and promised that if they did and when they did, he'd rebuild it himself in three days. Although perplexed and unsure of how all of these things following this rabbi would work out in the end, one thing they were sure, every day, Every experience they had with him validated more and more that he was, in fact, the Messiah that they were waiting for, and there was no way they were walking away. His teachings, his answers to the question asked of him, they were oftentimes confusing and didn't make sense and challenging and convicting. But man, something within them told them that everything he said was true. That's where we pick up our story in John chapter 3. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem after that week of Passover. And he went to the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time there with them there, baptizing people. The dissatisfaction with Judaism's leaders at this time, they're failing to get the nation back that the Hebrew people had been promised, had left the people frustrated with their leadership. Their dissatisfaction was huge. History records, as I've already mentioned today, that there were many, many men walking through the wilderness, the Judean countryside, claiming to be the Messiah, the next Moses for the nation that would lead them into a reformation and a realignment of all that is Jewish. By all historical accounts, these preachers were large in number. But there were two that stood out at this period of time, all among the rest. There were two that people actually thought offered more than rhetoric. One was Jesus, a new rabbi whose miracles seemed to mirror the prophecies of the coming Messiah that they had prayed for. And the other one was a guy named John that we know as John the Baptizer, who had been around longer than Jesus, yet had never claimed to be the Messiah, and that was unique. He did claim to be the Messiah, but actually one who has prophesied to declare his coming. Despite that, he still had a growing following and a huge group of followers. He was doing a lot of baptizing. During the Passover week, many people had seen Jesus do miracles, and they were beginning to follow him. Jesus' disciples uh, were not merely 12, as we often think. Actually, those 12 you are aware of were of his choosing. He brings into his inner circle and he personally disciples and pours into them because at some point in the near future, he's going to send them out. That, by the way, is what the word apostle means. You know them as disciple, apostle. Most people don't think about it. But the difference between a disciple and apostle is before his resurrection and after. Before his resurrection, he was teaching. They were students of Christ. After the resurrection, they were sent out. He instructs them, um, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but we call it the Great Commission. Actually, it was the commissioning of the disciples. When he says, I want you to go out and baptize uh, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he was, he was sending them out. That's what the Hebrew word apostle means. It means to be sent out. 
Of the 12, there's only 11 that are actually sent out. But we'll talk about that later. For this time being, I want you to understand that there weren't just 12 disciples of Jesus. There were dozens and dozens, and that number was growing. That's what this context is about, that Jesus went to the Judean countryside. People who had seen him do miraculous things and teach during the Passover in Jerusalem that week followed him out there, and he was baptizing them. They were becoming, they were repenting of their sin. They were saying, we believe your teaching. They were becoming disciples of Jesus, and history tells us that there were somewhere between dozens and hundreds of followers. You're going to meet them as we go along in this story, but Jesus probably had hundreds, and at one point, he had thousands, maybe up to 20,000. Where do I come up with that number? Because they follow him to the countryside one day, and it says that he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. When you add one wife to most of those men and a child or two, you end up with easily well over 20,000 people that Jesus will feed with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. Those were people who considered themselves followers of Jesus that would sit in a valley or a low place while he would go on a hillside and he would scream out to them and teach truth and they would want to follow him. That's what Jesus did. And many would say they were disciples of Jesus right up until he offended them and they'd walk away. That's what's going on when John 3, 23 takes place. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and kept coming to him for baptism. People kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. For a short period of time, Jesus' ministry and John's ministry overlap. Both Jesus and John are growing in their disciple of, of others and following. Apparently, a Jewish seeker trying to figure all this stuff out, come to the disciples of John, and I want you to understand that when people would come, it wasn't just Jesus or John that answered questions, it was their inner circle. So John had a group of elders, just like Jesus had a group of elders we call disciples. They had inner circle, and people would often come to them, and you're gonna see this as we keep working through the Gospels. If they couldn't get to the master, they would often go to his disciples, whose purpose it was to answer questions. That was one of the things that they did. So they come to John's disciples, and this, this Jewish seeker asks a question about, if I'm ceremonially clean as a Jew, why do I need to be baptized by John? A fair question. And it tells us that they wrestled with this answer, and they pushed back, and they answered. John's leadership team spent a lot of time debating. I, I want to I say something that's kind of connected set the tone for this, and, and this is going to be something I can't necessarily relate to, so I'm going to say some things, and you're going to have to see if it's true in your life or not, but being a spiritual shepherd is a complicated thing. The reason it's complicated is because you're tasked not only with speaking truth that often offends and hurts your flock's feelings, but you're expected to respond to skeptics and those outside of your flock vigorously while continuing to grow your gathering. I mean, it's a weird job. Because on one hand, you're telling people to repent of who they are and what they are and what they do. On the other hand, you're asking them to support what you do. It's a strange thing. It's a spiritual thing, but it's a strange thing. This complicated balancing act, act wasn't new, nor the self-inflicted pressures of continuing to grow a flock. Verse 26. So John's disciples then come to him. Now remember, they've been debating the theology of John's baptism versus ceremonial Jewish cleansing. And they come to John, and they say, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the Jordan River, you know, the one you identified as the Messiah, now you know what they feel. 
Don't just read this cold. That one you said is the Messiah. He's also baptizing people. And actually, everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. Now, I want to start out by saying that the first thing, that's wrong on its face because the, the passage just told us that their numbers are still growing. So this is not a question of we're about to dry up. This is actually a question of our growth, our growth. We have a chart here, Jesus, or, or John. John, we have a chart here based upon our past and our growth. And what we're doing is we're going this way. And what's happening is leveling off a little bit. It's not growing as fast because that Jesus guy that you identified as a Messiah, that guy, he's cutting into our growth pattern. 27, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Here's the part that you have to judge for yourself. Not having sat where you sit since I was 17 years old. That's how long I've been doing ministry. It must be really hard to actually believe the stuff that you hear from preachers all the time. And I don't mean, I don't mean the, um, the weird stuff, the made up stuff, the opinion stuff. I mean the stuff that they say about themselves. I mean, you hear it, you amen it, but sometimes you don't really grasp it, what a preacher is meaning with all of his heart. I'm not talking actually theology or doctrinal stuff. I'm talking about the other stuff. For instance, no matter how often a pastor tell you, tells you that he struggles with sin and, and trusting in God, just like you, there's a tendency to think that a pastor has a special line to God. You know, if you can get your preacher praying for you, boy, you've really made that inroad because we know, we, we want to believe that a preacher has a special, he, he knows how to manipulate God. We wouldn't use the word manipulate, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We got to get that leader involved. We got to get that because something, no matter what, he or she says, our ministers tell us, often we just sort of blow that off. For instance, I think it's been weird. I, I, I like to make sure you know that I'm a fallen guy. It seems like the more I say that, the more people think, oh, that's so nice we have a humble pastor. No, 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 you don't understand. I mean, I'm really, really telling you that I, have this, I breathe the same air, I struggle. And it seems like no matter how many times we say something like that, it seems like people don't really grasp it and understand it and actually make that part of their understanding of church life and body life. And that really is what's happening here. Because no matter how long John seems to say this, John chapter one, verses 19 to 28. This is the very beginning of John's ministry, or this is, this is when Jesus, before Jesus comes on the scene. Listen to what John says. This is John's testimony. In other words, John the apostle, who was recording the gospel of John for us, wants us to know what did John say over and over? What is his testimony? In other words, what, did it, what is his core message? This is it. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for. Well then, who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer from those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked John, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I only baptize with water. I added only. But that's the emphasis here. I just baptize with water. We've lifted up water baptism. Some Christian churches believe it saves you. 
Jesus is actually undervaluing it. Look at the context. I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you, uh, that you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place at Bethany at the area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Every day, every opportunity that we have in Scripture, John is proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the one everyone who listened to him should follow. He was very clear. It was not, amb uh, amb uh, it was not quiet. It was not unseen. Jesus is the one that they were looking for, not John. He even sent a couple chapters ago, a few weeks ago when he was collecting his disciples, John actually sends a couple of his own disciples to follow Jesus. That's the guy you want. And two of them end up among the 12. But despite preaching that, verse 26 says that the disciples come to him and say, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah. I want you to think for a second how wrongheaded that statement is. He, the one you said is the Messiah. We didn't say he was the Messiah. We're fine that you think he's the Messiah. We're going to follow you off the end of the earth, John, but we're not going to believe what you say. I, I just want you that to sink in a little bit. That's what they're saying. We like you. We like the mojo. Now you have to ask yourself the question, what do John baptizers really want? Do they want John's truth or do they want what John offers them? That's a powerful question for the church today. Do we want Jesus or Christianity? And I do believe there's a difference now. Every week I try to make that case. Christianity in many circles has become a moralistic, uh, a moral uh, deistic cult. And the definition of a cult is when you start with the truth and you veer off for your own benefit. This was never about being moral. It was never about saving yourself. It was never about at least they're in church. It's always been about him. Always. Or was supposed to be about him. But I digress. He said, the one, they said, one, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people, and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. If it's not going to be long, John, until nobody's coming to us, and everybody's going to him, and then we're going to start losing our own people. I mean, you already sent two of our people off, John. Come on, John. How are we going to have a church? How are we going to have a religion if you keep sending people to that guy you say is the Messiah? That's fine that he's the Messiah. I mean, I want you to understand something here. What most of us don't realize is, remember the book of Galatians that Paul writes to? And Paul writes the book of Galatians. It's like a little Romans. It's about how a person is saved. And the reason he writes it is because there's a problem. There's a group of people who have respect for Jesus but believe that you've got to stay Jewish in order to be saved. They're called Judaizers. Guess who their, guess who their leader was? John the Baptist. The people that Paul, that Paul is writing to in the book of Galatians are predominantly the followers of John that never turn away from John and go to Jesus. Be careful, Christians. You may love a great teacher, whether it's Beth Moore or John MacArthur or whoever you fill in, but if you leave Jesus to follow them, you're just like the Galatians. That's a danger today. You see, I believe Satan who approaches as an angel of light is not going to approach you and try to get you with a uh, upside down pentagram or a goat head and he's not gonna try to get you to join some sort of satanic cult. He's smarter than that. You gotta give him some credit. He is the liar and he's really, really good at it. What he's gonna do is take your eyes off of Jesus. That's what he's gonna do to us. He's gonna take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on ourselves. He's going to get us to begin to believe that what we have to do is make sure we grow a church or that make sure we fill in the blank. Make sure that we make sure that abortion isn't the law of the land or that homosexual marriage isn't the law of the land. They may all be fine things, but they have nothing to do with the gospel. You see, there's a reason why people 
get into homosexual marriage, and there's a reason why they end up pregnant outside of marriage. There's a reason why they're desperate enough to kill their child. There's a lot of reasons. And the church is so busy trying to outlaw immoral behavior that we forgot to reach people who are immoral. And the problem is because most of us grew up in the church and don't see ourselves as immoral. Yeah, we see, we see ourselves needing to be saved from hell, but we don't see ourselves needing to be saved from ourself. You see, one of the things as we get closer to Easter that is a little unsettling to me, and please take this as my opinion and not the right opinion, but it seems to me that the church is convinced that the most important thing we can do during the Easter season is get people in no matter what we do, because we think that the most important thing they do is, is dwell among us, and that's not true. What they need is a Messiah. Everything you hear on every advertisement about Easter season this year has nothing to do with Jesus on why you should come party with us. I want to be clear. Getting the world to party with us, if they never meet Jesus as the one who solves their spiritual problem, they still go to hell just with a Christian hat on their head. That's exactly what's going on here. The disciples don't really see the value in Jesus. They just think that John endorses him like, I might endorse a great teacher. I'm glad you like C.S. Lewis, Mark. I'm more of a Tolkien guy. Who cares who we are? The question is, who can save us? I, I want to be clear, and this makes me a really bad Baptist. We are not Baptists, no matter how many times Ch Chad says we are. And I want to add that whether you know it or not, about 25 to 35, maybe 40% of our church grew up Pentecostal or, or charismatic. I just want you to know that. There are a lot of Assembly God people around you Good for you. Welcome. You're, you grew up just as wrong as we did, and we're going to meet in the middle. We are not Assembly of God people. We are not Lutherans. We aren't even Carpenter's Way Baptist Church people. We are the people of Jesus Christ. And we can't afford to have that piece by piece, inch by inch removed from us, because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Satan wants us to get the people that do this. Well, What's different between Carpenter's Way and Timber Creek? If, if the differences are programming, then the focus is Jesus. We were having a conversation last week, and, and look, this, this is not a bang on our heads kind of message. I know it feels like it, but I just want us to think. We just got to reflect. Because the difference between being right-headed and wrong-headed is like an eighth of an inch. But we were talking last Sunday night and uh, I don't remember which one of the wise millennials said this, but it was very powerful. They hate it when I call them millennials, so I do it on a regular basis. Um, but somebody said, when, when you ask somebody about Jesus, how you know you're a Christian, because that was our discussion last Wednesday night, Christians say, because I do this, or I did that, I go to church, or I pray to prayer. And the answer is, because Jesus redeemed me. Take a deep breath and think about that. Look what we've done. We've turned it into an I act. I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I went to VBS. I'm a member of, of Harmony Hill Baptist Church. I, I, I. When the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one. When people said, are you a follower of the Pharisees? People said, no, I'm a follower of John. A follow, being a follower of John is a lot like, okay, I'm gonna offend you, clinging to the old rugged cross. Great song, bad theology. If you cling to the old rugged cross, you're going to get splinters. If you cling to Jesus, you get eternal life. And that's the difference. It really matters. It really, 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 really matters. Oh, preacher, you're getting too personal. That's because Satan works in the eighth of an inch area. 
These are good people. These are people who are saying Judaism is a mess. It is not the solution. These are the people who heard John say, you must repent of your sins. These are the people that said, I want to be baptized, John. I understand. I need to die to self, and I need to be resurrected in a hope that God promises that you're preaching. I get it, John. You're not the Messiah. But when the rubber hit the road, and it began to affect their numbers when John said, that's the guy you need to follow, not me, they were upset because it didn't fit their mojo. What happens when Jesus, that guy, the real deal, doesn't fit your mojo? What happens? What happens when we sing, I surrender all, but then God says, I'm going to give your kid, or I'm going to allow your child to have a disease for the rest of their life, Pastor Mark, diabetes. Well, I don't like that. I thought you surrendered all. Well, I, I don't like that either. I mean, I do surrender all. You know, all the spiritual stuff. I surrender pornography after I've looked at it. I surrender my guilt. I surrender bad Christian music. I surrender traditional type church. I surrender my suit. I surrender my suit to you, God. Yeah, but do you surrender your trust? No. Do you surrender a shrinking church? Do you surrender, Mark, again, I'm, I'm not doing this. This is what I'm thinking about this week. I'm not yelling at you. I'm saying, look, this is what this is about. This is a good, these are the people that we would want to join. This is the Carpenter's Way Church of the New Testament before Jesus comes on the scene. And the the reality is, they were confronted with Jesus who was taking away from their crowd, and that bothered them. We're the children of God. God is your shepherd. And these elders of John's church were supposed to be listening as John pointed them to Jesus, but they saw themselves in competition with him. People were following him, and that was negatively affecting their growth of their movement. So John said again in verse 28, you yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. I love the illustration John uses. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend simply is glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. Man, I love that. That's it. John's followers had forgotten that they were not the bridegroom. They so believed in their baptism, they thought their baptism was doing something for them, much like the circumcision of the Jewish people. None of those do anything for you but say, I'm going to be obedient to God and I'm going to trust him. That's all they do. I mean, the question is, when a person gets saved uh, by way of walking an aisle, when do they actually go from death to life? When they pray with the pastor or when they're seat, when they go, I need this, I need salvation. I mean, if they die halfway down the aisle of a massive coronary, do they go to hell? There are churches in this community, and some of you grew up in it, that believe if you don't baptize. Some of you have family members, and you came to know Jesus Christ, and you shared with those family members of certain Christian religious groups or faith groups, and and they're like, well, did you get baptized? No. Well, hurry up. Because like Carrie Underwood, bless her heart, they believe there's something in the water. Love the song, hate the theology. Because there's nothing in the water. That's why John said, I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Because that guy, he's the only one that can save you. Old time religion, it may make you feel good. You may like the music. You may like the people. There may be, if you're in a really old time church, you may be born in that church and you may be buried out behind that church. But just so you know, 
If you're, bare, if you're born, baptized, and buried in that church, but you never meet Jesus, you don't get to meet Jesus. That's what's so scary about how good Satan is. Satan didn't say to Eve, God hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. Follow me and I'll give you good fruit. He said, you know, God knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. And it said that she saw that it was delicious, that it would look delicious, and it would make her wise. It's attractive. It's an attractiveness. And there's a game, there's a, in the, especially in the Bible Belt, we are in a contact sport, man. We are comp, comp, uh, competing with everybody else, trying to do the better outreach, trying to do the bigger thing. And God's going, where am I in the middle of all this? Whoa, time out. It's about me, even if it's only three people. It's not about 1,000 people. It's about three people saved. It's not about 50,000 eggs given away during the holiday season. I swore I wouldn't go there. But it's driving me crazy. I Look, there's nothing wrong with celebrating spring. Celebrate spring like crazy. But spring celebration should be that big, and the celebration of our resurrection of Jesus Christ should be that big. We should be going, come celebrate the resurrected Lord, and we'll give you chocolate as you leave. I mean, it, it, it should be an afterthought. This is about Jesus. It's not about Southern Baptists, and we have forgotten that. It is not about assemblies of God. It's not about you getting the miracle you want. It's not even about feeling good. It's about Jesus. It's about saying, I surrender all. I give it all to you. Do what you want to do, because I trust you, because you're good. And and I want to say something really off the wall while we're here, and I, I know I always say stuff off the wall, but I really... I I want to remind us as a family of something, and those of you watching on the internet, this idea that we can recreate a friendlier God so that the world finds it palatable, you can can make God whoever you want, but if he turns out not to be God, all you're doing is creating a new idol we call the Christian God. In other words, we talked about this Wednesday night. If Jesus Christ, if God came in here right now, if if he stood here right now, and he had a purple mohawk and a red suit and was... Whatever, whatever he was, and he was unloving and unkind and unmerciful and ungracious, you would still bow. Now, you're going to have to think about that. Only three of you nodded your head because we live in a time where we think we decide who we bow to. I want to make it clear. Every knee is going to bow. When you come face to face with divinity, you don't choose to bow or not. This isn't Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi. These aren't people that we go, I don't like you. That's not how this works. They're God. He's God. And we forget that. The good news is, the real God, the only one that exists, is in fact merciful, loving, and gracious, and is seeking a relationship with us. But even if he wasn't, we would bow. This idea in evangelicalism that we can redecide who he is, this idea that we can kind of rethink it, you know, I think the Greek says that, you know, adultery and immorality and homosexuality isn't really a sin. You, you can say that all you want, but it says what it says. But you know, nobody goes to hell because they're a glutton. They're a glutton because they're sinful. The reason they're same-sex attraction is because of the nature of man. The reason there were laws in the Old Testament against having sex with animals, I know this is now a rated PG message, is because people were doing it. Oh, that's so gross. If your God is it any grosser than overeating, self-medicating by too much alcohol or drugs, I mean, the truth is it's all denying God his glory. It's all saying, I don't give you all. I mean, the, the, the thing is that this is about him, it's not about us, it's about him. We benefit from his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Everything we receive is an overflow of his character. He's not going, I really like Carpenter's Way, or I don't like Carpenter's Way, I really like Kelty's First Baptist, so I'm gonna bless them. That's not how this works. 
God has a plan that we are privileged and invited to participate in. And our job is not to figure his plan out. Somebody Wednesday night said this, and it was really, really powerful. Somebody said that to obey God, you don't have to understand him. You just have to choose to obey him. And we are in a time now where we're trying to choose to obey him if we think he's good. And so we try to recreate him. And, and that's what these guys are doing. They're like, John, we're concerned. John says, you yourselves know plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. I'm the bridegroom's friend. I'm not the groom. And oh my gosh, we've forgotten that, brothers and sisters. We've forgotten. We're not the, we're not the groom. We're the friend. What we do is, is we say, look, look, let me introduce you to somebody I've met. Let me introduce you to this guy. And he's changed my life and he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, you, they could come to church and see what God is doing in our midst. It tells us in 1 Corinthians when, when an unsaved person comes in our midst and they see the Spirit of God working, they'll repent and come to him. So they're invited, but, but salvation doesn't take place right here, right now. Salvation takes place right here, right now, all the time, anytime, day or night, when you meet Jesus. It's about Jesus, and I know you've heard that, but I really, really, really mean it. These guys saw the miracles Jesus was performing, and they still struggled with Jesus. Boy, if they struggle with Jesus, how much are we going to struggle with Jesus? We are not the Savior. We're merely people pointing people to the Savior. The church even isn't even, I don't know, the church isn't even in the business of deciding what's sin and what's not sin. Do, do you know that? I mean, the, the world keeps asking our Christian artists, so do you believe homosexuality is a sin? That is not a complicated question. It's, I gotta be honest with you, I just believe in the word of God, so what it says I'm gonna follow, I'm just here to, to tell you about Jesus through song. But that's not the question. When was the last time a politician ever answered the question, why do we keep falling into the satanic trap of answering these questions? You see, Jesus Christ will never send one person to hell because they're gay or they have same-sex attraction or because they had sex with animals. And I'm not putting them in the same equation. He's not gonna send anybody to hell because they're overweight and he's not gonna send anybody to hell because they're a hypocrite or because they're a bad Baptist. People go to hell because by nature they're already condemned. That's what Jesus was saying to, John, to Nicodemus. He says, you wanna know why I was sent? Because God loved the world so much, so much that he sent me his only son, his only begotten son, so that anybody who believes in me won't perish but have eternal life. He sent me, Nicodemus, to seek and save the lost. I didn't come to condemn. The world is already condemned. You see, the fact of theology is every man, woman, and child since Adam and Eve are on their way to hell. Jesus Christ, the Trinity, did not want that to happen, so he immediately put a plan in action to redeem mankind. And that's the story of the Messiah. That's what he's talking about here. And, and how people react to him, I just want to make clear, is no different today than it was in John's time. It's not any different today. I, I am not saying that evangelicalism or Christianity today doesn't hold Jesus in a place of prominence, but I am going to say that I don't believe he holds a place of preeminence. What's the difference? Prominence means we have crosses and we have his name up here and we have t-shirts that say, look like a Budweiser commercial, but it says Budweiser up. I had one of those shirts in high school and I was super spiritual back then. It, it, what it means is that Jesus Christ isn't part of our conversation or in a verse in the middle of our conversation. He's the purpose of the con conversation. He's the redeemer in the conversation. He's the transformer in the conversation. And without him, none of this works. I mean, I want you to ask yourself, 
this question. And, I, and these are thoughtful questions and probably two in your face, but it's the questions that John was going to have to ask his disciples. If Jesus Christ was not true, would it change anything we do? Would, would our churches still exist today if all of a sudden the Holy Spirit removed himself? Would we even know it? Wow. I mean, would our programming go on? We might have programming for good families and raising kids, and we might help people who feel bad about themselves. We might have great pro The question, I, and I want you to ask yourself that question. Would my family, would it, what would change in my personal life, in my family, if Jesus Christ ceased to be involved with us? If the answer is nothing, then we're just like John's disciples. We know the preacher likes Jesus, but is he everything to me? John 2.30, you want to know how, or 3.30, you want to know how committed he was? You know this verse because it's mind-boggling. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. There's a church motto for you. Becoming less important as people look at Jesus. Carpenter's way. Better toilets, less significant. Still working on the perfect one that we're going to advertise. But you know what I'm saying, right? Can we just take a breath? Because this is intense. And I'm, I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling at us. I'm, I, I'm saying we, we gotta step back and look at our culture and look at what we do as Christians in this world and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've lost Jesus in this. Like, he's there, but he's in a big crowd of noise. You, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? This is a risk. This is a risk of modern Christianity. And I wanna talk to you men who love to fish and, and love to hunt and love that your wife loves God and all those things. At what point are you gonna believe that Jesus Christ is enough for you even if your wife's not in the picture? When do we as men say, Jesus Christ, I give it all to you. Do what you want to do. I'll give up fishing for you. <laughs> of course, I don't mean that. I mean, it's, I know that's a dumb example, but you know what I mean. I'll give up fill in the blank. What are we willing to, what are we willing to say, okay, I got to become less so he can become more. How about, how about this in this modern thinking culture that's even using the church to say, oh, you're so precious. You are so precious. And now that you're saved, you're so perfect. God loves you. Whatever happened to God is the reason we exist, so I'm less and less. Who cares how I am? Who cares if I'm ugly or frumpy or, or, or whatever? Whatever you feel about yourself. Whatever happened in the church to people who feel really bad about themselves being told with your arms on their shoulders, this is going to hurt, but you're worse than you think. On the other hand, God is greater than you think. His love for you is while you were yet a sinner. All that stuff you feel is because you're trying to marry your goodness. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and I understand depression and sadness. Julie and I spent about an hour yesterday talking about this. When did the church decide that God was the answer to your psychological needs? I thought Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, pick up your cross and die. You see, the call of the Christian is not to impact the world, it's to give up you. Jesus didn't say, you gotta, meet, you gotta reach 50 people for me. What he said was, if you wanna be my disciple, and that's because hundreds, if not thousands, were following, he said, you wanna be my disciple, you're gonna have to pick up your cross, put your selfish thoughts aside and follow me. Jesus didn't ask for some of your life, he didn't ask for Sundays, he didn't ask for Wednesdays, he didn't ask for thoughts, he asked for everything. And that's why people don't like to follow him. Because that song we just sang, it's the question. 
You know, the first part of being saved in Romans 10, 9 is if you confess Jesus as Lord. Oh, you're a lordship preacher. I am a believer in being born again. And yes, if you are going to let this guy save you, you have to believe he's the king of the universe and ruler of all, including our lives. And it doesn't matter what the church thinks of you. What matters is what does he think of you? And he values you enough to send his son to die for you. He loves you. Not because you're beautiful or thin or moral, but because he loves you and wants you to tell others about him. And then he'll take you home. And then you will receive your reward. Until then, it's going to be hard and difficult, and you're going to watch others grow. I don't want others to grow. I give it all to you. Do what you want to do. I surrender all. Or we should change the song to I surrender some. Try that next Sunday. I surrender some. I surrender some. I don't remember the next line, but it's going to be good. <laughs> Spiritual things I give to Jesus, the rest I'm going to own. Is that not what we struggle with? That's what's going on. I believe these are good people. I believe these are people going, I'm tired of Judaism. They've, they've hijacked the truth. I believe these are the right people. These are our people. These are Carpenter's Way. We're Jews. We're just not good Jews. Nobody allowed any Jewish suits. There was one problem. They became proud of themselves. And what's crazy of this story to me as a pastor is that they weren't even not growing. They just weren't growing at the level they were growing before, and Jesus was cutting into those numbers. So it wasn't like they stopped. It wasn't like massive people are leaving them. It's just that masses of people weren't still coming. There was only one mass, only one group of people. We want 250 people a day. Jesus is taking 75 of those. I mean, think about this. They're in competition with Jesus. Are we? Are we? Are we in competition with Jesus? And I, I got to tell you something. This, this group of people, this group of people that we're talking about right here continue to be a problem. Even after this, they do not listen to John. And they are what I call the Judaizers. They're the people who try to marry Judaism with Christianity. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but you still need to be circumcised because God works through blah, blah, blah. You can read Galatians. That's what it's about. I want to make it clear here that it's not as the church leadership goes, so goes the church. It's as the church goes, so goes the church. As you live. If you're out committing adultery, then we are an adulterous body. If you are stealing money, then we are a thieving body. If you are a surrendered body, we are a surrendered body. It is not as the leaders go, we're part of the flock. We, we just have been given different gifts, and this is what we do. But the truth is, as we go, so goes the church. And I want you to know that John's church wasn't healthy ever. No matter how many times he preached, they didn't listen. This goes on and on and becomes a thorn in, in Paul's side. Paul actually says, I wish these people would take the knives with which they want you to be circumcised and mutilate themselves. That's how angry and misguided this group of people becomes. They don't turn back. Please, be men and women of Jesus. Please, I beg of you, don't be Baptist. Don't be Assemblies of God. Don't be evangelical. Don't be pro-life. Don't be moral. Be Jesus' people. Follow him, and you'll be whatever he wants you to be. 
Did you just say you don't want people to be pro-life? I want people to follow Jesus. That will affect how you live and the decisions you make. But it's not working the other way. We cannot litigate morality. That's not even our task. We are here to tell people that there's a different, better way, a way that gives you hope not just for this life, but for the next. His name is Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He promises an abundant life. And our job as a family is to equip each other for the work of the ministry, to build each other up, to encourage one another, to pray for each other, and to make sure that anyone and everyone in every place and every corner of this globe hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's why you give. You don't give because you have extra money. You give because people all over the globe need to know Jesus Christ. You give because Paige has been called to work with women in crisis in East Texas, and you haven't, but you've been called to support her in that. You give because you believe that Paula Havard and her team has been called to work with women in crisis and offer real hope beyond having a baby. You give because in India, Christians are being persecuted, and in there we have a group of brothers and sisters who are working with children to raise them up to the next godly leaders of that nation. They're discipling them. And for us to go over and do it is impossible, but we support them. You give because the leaders of this church are here to encourage you to follow Jesus and not us. You serve because our children need to be raised in a godly church. That's why you volunteer. If you've not been baptized, you get baptized not because you're part of a Baptist church or an evangelical movement, but because Jesus said, I want the world to know that you're mine. So you get up in that water at 65 years of age and you say, I want you to know that I'm doing this in obedience to Jesus. We do what we do, not because that's what churches do, but because that's what he asked us to do. And there's a lot of questions you should ask if you don't know why he asked you to do that. And one is, Pastor, why should I be baptized? Where does it say that? I'll show you in Scripture. We'll do it together. Because i got to tell you, I'm a lousy Baptist, but I hope to God I'm a good follower of Jesus, and I want you to join me in that. John, uh, this is kind of weird, the end of this, 31 to 36. I'm going to read it. You're going to get it. It's very concise. But the Greek actually kind of leads us to believe that John the Baptist doesn't say this, but John the Apostle. So John the Apostle, who's recording this under the authority of God, the inspiration of Scripture, he just told us about this moment with John's disciples and in, in light of Jesus. And then John makes commentary, I believe. Okay, It could very well be John the Baptist says this, but I believe John is commentating on this story and telling you why he said it. Listen to this, verse 31 of John 3. He has come from above and is greater than anywhere else, anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he came, uh, has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what, we, what he has seen and heard, but how few people believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony confer, can confirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's word, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. I know that for some of you, 
It's like, obeys God. Okay, so I've got to be moral. That's what he's talking about. No, what was Jesus' command? If you want to be born again, you've got to be, uh, if you want to be, see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. How do you do that? John 3.16, right before this. It's the context in John 3.16. If anyone who believes in me, he won't perish, but I have eternal life. That's the obedience. Put your trust in me. If you are here this morning and you don't want to be a Baptist or an Assembly of God or an Evangelical, you don't have to be, but you do have to put your hope in Jesus. You've got to acknowledge you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you and he's the Lord of the universe and your job is to follow him. That you have to do. You do not have to become a Christian to be a child of God. I know some of you just went apoplectic. That's a big word. I didn't go that far in school. Some of you are like, well, this is so confusing. Not if you really slow yourself down. It's not confusing. Just because you go to church, all right, if I can quote Keith Green, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Just because you go to the garage in your house doesn't make you a car. Just because you sit in church every week doesn't make you God's child. What makes you God's child is being born again. How is a person born again? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes, transfers trust, puts his hope in God, he won't perish, but he'll have eternal life. And if you do that and you put your hope in him and you follow him, you have nothing to worry about. If you're putting your hope in a VBS experience when you were six years of age, but since then, there's no fruit of the Spirit's presence in your life. You have everything to be afraid of. That's weird for a pastor to say, I thought you believed in eternal security. I do once the Holy Spirit has adopted you into his family. And that's not what's happening here. John the baptizer's disciples had forgotten themselves. They forgot their role in God's plan. They forgot who they were. They began to believe that it was about a continual numerical growth. They began to believe that it was about them being the significant force for revival and reformation of truth. They forgot that this Jesus, he was the only lamb of God that uh, could or remove sin. They forgot that crowd size and pure numerical data is not a fair judge of spiritual transformation. They forgot that. They forgot that. Have we? Have we? Have you? My friend, if you are seeking hope this morning, if you seek forgiveness of your sins for salvation, run to Jesus. He's calling right now. <laughs> for those of you on the internet, somebody's phone just rang. <laughs> Seriously. Run to Jesus. Well, how do I do that? How do you run to the bank? How do you run to the gas station? How do you run to Walmart for milk? How do you run? Go run. Don't make it complicated. This is not a spiritual thing. It's a desperation thing. Run to Jesus. What do I tell him when I get there? What do you want? I very rarely lead people in sinner's prayer anymore. I just sit and say, tell God what you want. That's why I don't do an altar call. It's not about you convincing a pastor. It's about you going to Jesus. Go to Jesus. You, you can come up here in, in front of his name and you can pray, but please understand, it's not your knee or that sign that saves you. It's Jesus. It's not being in this church that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. Run to him. Cry out to him. And if you're not sure that you're truly transformed, if you've truly been born into the family of God by being born from above, don't go back and argue doctrine as to whether or not you can lose it or praying magic words save you. Go to Jesus. Why are we waiting? Today is the day of salvation. Go to Jesus. If you don't know that you are born into the family of God, go to Jesus. He's the one that can save you. And then join us. We'll help you in that. We'll encourage you in your walk with God. And, I, and this, is, this is where my commitment to you comes in. I promise you this morning, after somewhere between 13 and 14 years, I'm doubling down on the word of God. I promise you 
that as scared as I get over, over church numbers and budgets, I will never stop preaching Jesus. I promise. I promise you I would rather be run off from any church than to stop preaching Jesus. I promise you that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be the impetus of everything we do and every relationship we have, that there is hope in God, not in the church. You're right about the church. We are a hateful lot. So we want you to meet the bridegroom. And in that, he's changing us too. I do want you to know that God's not okay with your sin. He never will be. And it's not just same-sex marriage. It's, it's not just same-sex attraction. It's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs. It's actually self-righteous Baptist theology. It's actually self-righteous assembly of God. It's you worshiping worship instead of worshiping the one who deserves to be worshiped. That's all sin. And God will never, ever be okay with our sin, ever. So what does that mean for a child of God? It means that he'll discipline you because he loves you. He will spank you. Your parents spanked you. You spanked your kids. Some of you didn't, and we all know it. But for the rest of us, I offended the last person here. The, the, the truth, you, you, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Are we done here? This is, this is like a conversation. This isn't a, that was, that was fire, preacher. That was fire. I don't want fire. I want God. I, I, I want us. So let's all run to him, okay? And Easter, Easter's coming. If you've got nothing to share, don't bring anybody. Then you come as a, as a learner. But if Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, is in fact in the process of transforming you, I'm not talking about you're morally pure. I'm talking about speaking to you, transforming you. If he is drawing you to himself, then you bring somebody. And the thing is, isn't that preacher great? Thank you. He is. That's not the point. Or doesn't Chad lead a great worship song? Or doesn't Nancy write a wonderful script? It's not about that. It's about your ability over lunch to say, that's what changed my life. Not those people, but the message. You bring people because you want them to see what God is doing in you, not what God is doing here. Who cares what God is doing here? It doesn't change anybody. What matters is what God is doing in you. Does that make sense? We are in this together, surrendering all, telling him he can do whatever he wants to do, even if it hurts. We're going to put our trust in you. Father God, Thank you for these gospels that are so relevant. How people reacted to you when you walked this planet is exactly how we react to you today. We like a lot of what you say, but boy, are we distracted with other things. Father, protect us from having the same disease as John's disciples. Help us to run to you and then to encourage each other. As we enter this Easter season, Father, I pray that for every one minute we talk about chocolate bunnies and eggs, we would talk for 50 minutes about Jesus. I pray for the men and women who are part of our family of faith here in this room. Fire our hearts up, Father. May they burn for you. May your spirit take control of our lives. And I pray, Father, that every man and woman who knows you this morning would simply say, I surrender all, do what you want to do. I'm going to be quiet for a moment, brothers and sisters. And for those of you who are the children of God, I dare you to say that. I challenge you right now to say, I surrender all, do what you want to do. You've heard our prayers, now answer them.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you don't know Jesus, boy, would I love to introduce you, and I'll be sitting up here right after. I know it's embarrassing, but 100 years from now, you won't worry, worry about being shy. Your ride will wait. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. God bless you guys.